Hello and welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk, a cyber threat intelligence and information security podcast brought to you by the ReliaQuest Photon Intelligence Team. My name is Chris and this week I'm joined by Ivan. How are you, Ivan? How's things? Good start to the new year? Yeah, doing great. It's been a great start to 2023. Uh, still getting used to writing 2023 on my papers instead of 2022. But yeah, yeah. It, it is uh, very futuristic, isn't it? It's a bizarre new world. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for joining. Uh, so it's been a very busy week. Of course, the first thing I should probably mention is, of course, it's the second week of the month, which brings us to our monthly Microsoft Patch Tuesday update, which was released on the 10th. Uh, and this is the first Patch Tuesday update of 2023, uh, fixing a whopping 98 vulnerabilities. Uh, with 11 of these vulnerabilities being classed as critical, uh, one of which is actually a zero day. Uh, one to mention is CVE 2023-21674, which is a vulnerability in Windows Advanced Local Procedure Call, or ALPC, uh, that essentially could lead to a browser sandbox escape and allow attackers to gain system privileges on a, a wide variety of Windows and Windows Server installation. So that's definitely one to look out for. Uh, it's been described that uh, you know bugs of this type are often paired with some form of code exaction to deliver ma malware or ransomware. Uh, so definitely worth you know looking into this particular bug. But you know overall, just getting your head into these updates if you haven't already, with the usual caveat of patching those that represent the most immediate risk to your organization. Uh, I also should mention that we're monitoring the situation with the Federal Aviation Administration, the uh, FAA alert, uh, that you might have seen grounded several flights across the US. Uh, this appears to be related to an IT failure, but not necessarily a cyber attack. We will, of course, update our clients via the usual channels if the risk associated with this event changes. Uh, and the same thing with the Royal Mail uh, in the United Kingdom, uh, who apparently have been impacted by a cyber attack. It's very early days. Uh, I don't think we know exactly what's happened there just yet but we'll keep you abreast of the latest developments. So moving on to the first topic of the day, and that relates to the Russian cyber espionage group known as Turla, who've been observed piggybacking on attack infrastructure that was used uh, by a decade-old malware to deliver its own reconnaissance and backdoor tools to targets in Ukraine. Uh, researchers said the hijack servers correspond to a variant of a commodity malware named Andromeda, uh, and that was apparently uploaded to VirusTotal initially in 2013. So, you know, quite a long time ago, good 10 years. Um, so first up, Ivan, tell us more about Turla and where they sit in the pyramid of Russian state-sponsored threat groups. Sure. So Turla, they are a well-known nation-state threat group, and uh, they have been active since about 2004. Uh, the group has been constantly evolving since, and they usually develop their own customized malware, and uh, they have been known to exploit zero-day vulnerabilities in uh, their attacks. So they're believed to be highly sophisticated and persistent. So I would definitely put them at the top of the pyramid as far as the threats that they pose. Uh, the only thing that you note about Turla campaigns is that they, they are usually highly targeted and uh, in the interest of the Russian government. So while they are dangerous, the likelihood of a random organization being targeted by Turla is probably probably very small. Interesting. So if you're targeted by Turla, uh, that absolutely is quite a, a serious incident. And like you say, they're, they're probably being directed to do that by by the Russian state. Obviously, you know, Ukrainian organizations um, 
no, you can hazard a guess as to why they would be targeted by Russian APTs at this time. Um, what exactly do we know uh, about the role that Taylor has taken in the current conflict uh, between Russia and Ukraine, um, including this specific incident? So just like uh, other Russian APTs, Tarla, they have launching a lot of campaigns targeting Ukraine since the start of the war. Uh, there have been reports from Google in July of 2022 that uh, said that Tarla, they were distributing Android apps that were disguising as DDoS tools targeting Russian websites. And the goal was to get supporters of Ukraine to download it. However, the app was simply used to get information on the users who downloaded it. But uh, Turla has been actively targeting Ukraine, and uh, we can expect that these attacks will continue as the war goes on. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that that was obviously uh, the first thing that came to my mind. They've, they've already taken an active role in the conflict and um, and almost certainly will uh, will continue to do so as this goes on, for however long it goes on. Um, you know, as we, we kind of approach the anniversary of the conflict, which, you know, staggeringly is almost at the one year stage um, i remember you know sitting on the podcast with with several members of the team talking about this uh, as it kind of transpired uh, last february in 2022 um, but yeah as we approach that anniversary you know what do we anticipate the role of russia's cyber operations will be you know in 2023 so there's many possible outcomes and uh, i think that all depends on how the war is perceived to be going for russia uh, we could see more destructive cyber attacks coming from Russia, similar to what happened early in the war. We saw ransomware, but uh, it didn't allow victims to pay the ransom. Essentially, it was acting as a wiper. And I think that Russia's operations are likely to remain uh, similar to how they have been so far, uh, targeting critical sectors, seeking to disrupt services, and uh, stealing intelligence. And my guess is that they're doing everything that they can, but there's only so much they can do at the moment. Perhaps they're going to recruit forces from the dark web, all those Russian ransomware groups that pledged their allegiance to Russia. So there's many vectors that they could approach in 2023. Interesting. Yeah, you mentioned kind of recruiting people from the dark web. Um, obviously, we've seen Russia uh, recruit uh, quite a large amount of, of people from Russian criminals, uh, from Russian prisons, rather, um, who obviously have a criminal history to actually serve in you know, the, the private military contractor function so Wagner group um I wonder if they'll do the same thing with regards to kind of cyber criminals you know use those expertise of those cyber criminals to target Ukrainian institutions if they're not doing that already um and then you mentioned kind of critical sectors and infrastructure so that's been a a really demonstrable change in what Russia has done from the the onset of the conflict so obviously right at the start they used uh, a rather a hand-braked approach to the invasion so they were the kind of restrictive in what they were doing um you know they they obviously had that massive kind of tailback of, of forces entering kiev uh yeah it was it was a, a really kind of hand-braked approach to the invasion i think at this stage of the conflict all kind of bets are off with that and they've, they've almost like taken the gloves off so to speak you know really going after ukrainian infrastructure so electricity grids uh other cni um which is obviously absolutely abhorrent um but i would say that it's easier to do that physically than, than kind of using a cyber operation, um, easier to just launch a, a kind of a direct strike from a, a physical missile than, than conduct a, a week or a month long operation in, in using malware and things of that nature. So um, yeah, I agree that they will definitely continue targeting CNI, but I imagine you know that will be second to actually the, the physical attacks that are taking place. Um, okay, one to, one to watch uh, going forward, Taylor. 
Um, next up today, and we're re-engaging with a topic uh, that we actually spoke about last week. But this technology appears to be moving, you know, so quickly. It's important to stay uh, abreast of these developments. So previously on last week's podcast, uh, Danny identified that cyber criminals were talking about the possible use of Chat GPT to facilitate the creation of malicious cryptocurrency smart contracts. So that was the first kind of use we identified. Uh, but almost within a flash, it's really kicked up a gear in relevance to the cyber threat landscape. And there's been a, a real raft of reporting in the last week on how actors are actually looking to use chat GPT for malicious purposes. Um, so question to you, Ivan, is, uh, you know, what's been the latest developments from a cyber threat perspective on this technology? It does seem to be moving in incredibly quickly. Yeah, you know, chat GPT is really an amazing tool. And so there have been a lot of developments recently. In particular, we saw reports that uh, hackers, they have been successful in using the, the tool to write malware. And uh, there was a malware author in a criminal marketplace that they said that they were able to develop a Python-based information stealing malware that was capable of exfiltrating files and a lot of other functionalities. And uh, he did it all using ChatGPT. And the tool can be, there's tools that you can create using ChatGPT for encrypting and decrypting information. And uh, in yet another example, there was a cyber criminal that they said they used ChatGPT to create an, an automated dark web marketplace for trading illicit goods. So as we can see, cyber criminals are experimenting with the tool and uh, it is likely that this is only the beginning of everything. Sure. Um... Outside of, of kind of cyber threat uh, related uses for ChatGPT, uh, what use cases have you identified for your personal or work uses on this technology? You know, the tool is really useful. Uh, for example, if I'm about to go on a trip, I can ask uh, for it to make me a list of things that I need to remember before traveling. And uh, it's going to do that. And it will even give you bullet points that you need to follow. So if you're ever feeling lazy or if you get writer's block, you can always use the bots to give you some ideas. And uh, of course, you should never fully rely on the information that it gives you, but it's a great way to inspire some creativity. I think we may have watched the same video. I I, I saw that um, talking about kind of travel lists and things like of that nature, and just how easier it is to use ChatGPT for that specific purpose than say, you know, searching for that in Google and then pouring through endless amounts of articles um, related to that particular topic. Um, how do you anticipate the technology will, will change going forward? I will say that I saw some pretty incredible stuff talking about the differences between version one, and I believe it's version four of what we're seeing now. So it was suggesting that, you know, essentially the version one, you know, could come back with a few kind of basic lines and stuff. Version four using a very simple prompt could essentially produce a 60,000 page essay on a particular topic um and that's just within a you know i don't know the time frame between version one and four but a, a, a short space of time so you know i'm thinking about what it's going to look like in a few years time but you know how do you anticipate technology will change yeah you know this ai will become incredibly powerful we can use it to help us with small little things it's like google but with intelligence and uh i can only see it getting better and better and more reliable as time goes on uh, but as we like to say, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. It's going to be important for the developers to find a way to stop people from using chat GPT for malicious purposes. And I think they're already trying to do that, but it won't be an easy task. Uh, but, uh, what do you think, Chris, what do you think could be the future of chat GPT? 
Uh, God, I mean, it's limitless, isn't it, really? Um, it could be used for, for all kinds of purposes. So as I said before, it, it might have the possibility of really changing the way that we, we look at search engines, for example. Um, uh, th that video we were just referring to um, on, on the kind of list of things, they were talking about it being a, a bit of a Google killer. Uh, because it just might change the way that people actually search for information going forward. Um, if And as it gains a, a bigger insight or a bigger database, it's only going to get more proficient, right? So you're saying at the moment, be careful what you, you trust from this because it is an auto, uh, um, artificially uh, created product. Um, but that's only going to be fine-tuned as this product, you know, gains more insights and more more data, really. So I, I think it has a almost like a limitless possibility. Um, and this is only the first version of of this kind of tech that we're seeing, right? You know, ChatGPT is probably going to be the pioneer in in artificial intelligence or or things of this nature, really. So uh, very difficult to say exactly how it's going to go forward. I think with with cyber threats, uh, we kind of touched upon this with on the pod last week, but. The way I always looked at it is, you know, it will essentially um, fine tune the process in terms of the kill chain for cyber threat actors. So it might help them uh, better understand where your crown jewels are on your network based upon the network topology that you have, uh, you know, learning from previous intrusions that that AI has made, or it might help an actor better create a social engineering campaign to target users, you know, from a spear phishing perspective, something of that nature, really. But essentially, it's going to fine tune uh, the process for, for threat actors. Um, and then, like you say, real world um, use cases, I think it could be absolutely anything at this stage. So, yeah, yeah. really interesting one to to, to look into and, and just monitor, really. I said to the guys, you know, I, I want to know where to invest my money into for this technology because I just think this is going to be absolutely groundbreaking. Um, but I, mm. I do like your analogy as well. You know, great power comes great responsibility. Always good to get mm -hmm. a Spider-Man quote in there. So we'll end on that one. Yeah. You know, another use case that I think could be really useful is uh, that uh, for software development, uh, you can just ask it to write, write a Python script over anything. So it's kind of like if you need a script to do any functionalities, you can just ask ChatGPT and it's going to write it for you. It's kind of like Stack Overflow, but it actually writes the code to your, you know, requests. So that can be really useful for software developers, uh, writers for writing articles or getting ideas. You know, there's so many possibilities. And of course, like we talked about, some people are going to try to use it for malicious purposes, writing malicious code, but uh, that's one of the risks that come with it. Absolutely. Does it fix like errors in your code as well? So say you submit code to it and say, you know, resolve these issues. It can kind of do that as well. I have never tried it myself, but I have heard that you can put a piece of code there and say, like, can you find any issues with it, any vulnerabilities? And it sometimes can even point it out, like, oh, this little section could be vulnerable to these types of attacks, or this section is, you should fix this thing or that thing. So I have never tr tested it out for myself, but I have heard that it's pretty reliable, or it's getting there, at least. Good stuff. Yeah, something I definitely need to get my hands on in the coming weeks, I think. Um, awesome. Uh, let's move on to the last topic of the day, uh, and that relates to ransomware activity. Uh, in this case, the Lorenz ransomware group. Uh, so security researchers are warning that patching critical vulnerabilities that allow access to your network uh, may actually be insufficient to defend against ransomware attacks. Uh, some ransomware groups are actually exploiting the flaws to plant a backdoor while the window of opportunity still exists. So that window of opportunity obviously being 
the kind of public disclosure of the vulnerability and how long it takes an organization to actually patch uh, and may return long after the victim has applied the necessary security updates. Uh, in one case, uh, a Lorenz ransomware attack um, that reached completion months after the hackers gained access to a victim's network uh, using an exploit for a critical bug in a tele uh, telephony system. Um, so, Ivan, what do you think organizations are doing wrong with regards to vulnerability remediation in general? I think that a lot of organizations are focusing on mitigating the vulnerabilities with the biggest CVSS scores or the ones that they hear about in the news, but they forget about the smaller vulnerabilities that could still pose a big threat. Uh, we recently did an analysis of the vulnerabilities that were used to target our clients in 2022. And uh, the top 10 vulnerabilities targeting external infrastructure, they were all older vulnerabilities with uh, low CVSS scores. So it's important to take a risk-based approach to vulnerability management, which means keeping up with the latest trends and observed in the wild. And <clears throat> that's why vulnerability intelligence uh, is so important. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's a really good point to, to, to make right there. It's just a, a risk-based approach. Um, I think um, visibility as well of your network is something that a lot of, of companies kind of fall fall uh, fall down on, really just understanding exactly what you have on your network. And if you, if you, if you can't see it and it, it's not in your visibility, then how could you possibly fix it, really? Um, so that's something that I think, you know, a lot of organizations could do better on is just having that visibility of your actual network. Um, on that note, you know, what else can actually be done to remediate attacker activity related to vulnerability exploitation? Uh, and should we in the community actually offer better guidance and just patch this as soon as possible? Yeah, you know, vulnerability exploitation is one of the key initial access vectors for threat actors. And I think that when we're talking about what else we can do, we have to talk about defenses beyond patching. We have to assume that a threat actor will find a way to exploit some vulnerabilities. But uh, then what? You know, there are a few things that we can do, such as having several layers of defenses, segmenting networks, ensuring that we apply uh, the least privilege principle. And uh, when it comes to vulnerabilities, like I mentioned before, we have to take a risk-based approach and determine what poses the most risk to our organization. And then we go from there. Absolutely. Yeah, look at those vulnerabilities and, and really identify uh, through your own internal processes which one poses the most risk. You know, whether that be uh, it has a, uh, a proof of concept that's associated to that vulnerability, that it's been exploited in the wild. And of course, it's actually present on your network in the first place, which kind of goes back to the visibility point we were just making. Um, really, really good stuff. Um, I'd like to thank Ivan for uh, joining me this afternoon. A really good podcast. Thanks very much, mate. And uh, also thank all of our listeners. Um, as always, if you have any feedback, uh, you can send them to shadowtalk at digitalshadows.com. Uh, I think we will be changing this mailbox at some point in the future. And of course, we'll, we'll let you know what that mailbox changes to. Uh, but otherwise, uh, thanks for joining and we'll see you next week. Bye.